Hello, Tim. Splice. <laughs> you just jumped way ahead there. Yes. Splice. Yes, that is indeed the name of today's film. Splice. Splice. Hey, Ryan. Hey. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Splice. I mean, Dismembering Horror, the podcast show where myself, Ryan McDuffie, and myself, Tim Aslan. Tim Splice Aslan. That's right. We talk about what worked for us, what did not work for us, and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy about a horror film, a.k.a. we dismember it. Husha, husha, kasha. And uh, we are, we're on a, 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 a delving for, uh, we're on a, a what did we, <laughs> keep trying to keep it up with these alliterations. <laughs> a delving into dearthly, deadly delights. All that good stuff. Try to see things we haven't seen, haven't seen for a while. Anything you request that we talk about, what you want to hear us talk about, all that. We do not presume to be any authority by any means. We merely want to provide a space and atmosphere of getting together with friends and being able to openly and unabashedly discuss horror films and the inherently complicated themes around them as well as the filmmaking side of it all, too. Speak for yourself. What I say is, is the end-all, be-all. It's the law of the land. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see, let's see what your law is this week. For Rod episode. Stewart was a good artist. Who? Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart? Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> okay, right. Um, <laughs> for episode 146... As we already referenced and Tim said right off the bat, we delved into Splice. We took a splice of Splice from 2009, directed by Vincenzo Natali. Screenplay also by Vincenzo, with help from Antoinette Terry Bryant and Doug Tiller. Have you seen Vincenzo's other film, Cube, is what he's known for? I, yes, I've seen the first Cube. <laughs> I don't think he did the sequels. Okay. But I well, have, then yes. I have not seen Cube. It's, it's kind of cool. Okay. Does it make sense it was the same filmmaker? Um, nah, no, I wouldn't say that they feel, I mean, maybe just era wise, they feel in the same realm, but no, nah, they're pretty, they're pretty different. Interesting. Okay. Well, this uh, episode was also a request from Brendan Welch, who is our mixer master. If you're hearing this, Brendan, thank you for this mission. If you're hearing this. <laughs> <laughs> right. And when you are. And uh, to other listeners, no, let it be an example. We'd love to take your submission where you can find us most easily on our Instagram. Uh, we have an email. We check every couple weeks too. Great. Well, with that, anything else, Tim, or you want to watch the trailer and get into it? Hmm. Anything else? Anything else? Nope. <laughs> I always appreciate you take my questions seriously and consider it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, just trying to be genuine here. 
All right. Well, with that, let's watch uh, a genuine trailer from 2009 for Splice. Here he comes. Careful. All clear. That's it. Heart rate stable. If we don't use human DNA now, someone else will. Regulators and politicians, they tear us to pieces. Millions of people are suffering and dying. What are the moral considerations of that? This is illegal. We're going to go to jail for this. Human cloning is illegal. This won't be human. Not entirely. It's coming out. It's not due for months. It's slippery. It's... <laughs> what was that? A mistake. Here is something completely unique in the world. Tempty. Clive? Clive? Clive! Elsa, get out! It's dangerous! So just for clarification, I have seen this. I was wondering, that's where we last left off. When For we sure. This. But you know what was weird is the the first maybe 10 minutes of the movie, I had no recollection of. <laughs> I was like, wait, maybe I haven't seen it. And then like, there's like, I forget what moment I was, it like, you know, sunk in where i was like oh oh yeah 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 i've seen this probably with the creature stuff i'm guessing i would guess so yeah yeah i i think it's when it's that scene um the sort of alien scene where where uh i forget the characters sarah polly is in the lab and and it's uh it's hatched from the the little pod thing like from that point on i was like Oh yeah, I've watched all of I've definitely seen <laughs> yeah. this. So, you know. Well, 2009 was over 10 years ago now. That's right. I probably we, saw it like maybe 2 years later or something like that. Yeah, so just about 10 years ago. Yeah. Great. Well, Tim, since you're uh already letting us know about when you last saw it, can you curtail that into your rating of this film per our rating system being would you tell yourself to avoid this film, stream it, rent it or buy it? I would I just don't think it's that good, unfortunately. Yeah. Um it's I would stream it. It's not it's not so bad that I'd be like, oh my God, avoid this. It's terrible. Don't don't waste your time. It's there's some fun stuff for sure, but just all in all, I was kind of I was underwhelmed. And I think that's (laughs) indicative. My 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 memory of whether or not I saw it is indicative of how good it is. Yeah. Well, I hear that, and I'll be curious to hear more why that all is. Uh, I thought it was all like the style, and I don't know. It's it's all different and off-cuff and weird enough for me that it warrants a rent, plus uh, all the other things that I put in what worked, which we'll get to. Okay, fair. Fair enough. <laughs> Great. I mean, and I'm most always especially excited to talk to you about I don't I want to jinx it, but these films that bring up moral quandaries and I mean, I guess that's what all horror kind of does. But anytime, you know, it ventures into sci-fi horror and stuff about DNA, genetic stuff, yeah. like 
uh, all that. It's very cool. Yeah, it's cool. I think some of the failings of the movie revolve around how th- they depict the the characters going through that moral quandary. Yeah. I guess what also worked for me was just the even if like the characters themselves they aren't like amazing characters, you know, I go home thinking about or whatever, just like their flavor and being with them I thought was all fun and unique. And uh, really reminded me of fellow Canadian director of this filmmaker's David Cronenberg of like the <laughs> eccentric sure. yet like cool nerds, like, you know, just super smart, <laughs> but like eating their pizza, rolling on their rolling chairs around. Yeah. It's fun. I mean, I think this takes this to a pretty extreme level of that. <laughs> sure. A very, very 90s level of it in my mind, even though it's not a 90s movie. Right. But it's Sarah Polly and Adrian Brody playing these characters, and that's what right, seals right. the deal for me. I, I really, <laughs> sure. really loved them both in this. Cool. Um, and I guess for a little more context, too, before maybe then you can give us our summary, it's just fun to check in like with this is a uh, noteworthy for the era in that it's a Dark Castle Entertainment production, which was Dark Castle Entertainment was founded in 1999. And it's brought us another film, which we reviewed, Ghost Ship. It sure has. has we, it brought us another <laughs> film that was near and dear to me when it came out, and I put it in our hat for a future episode. Wait, let me, ghosts. I was going to guess 13 yes. Ghosts. Sorry. Yeah. It's got to be, right? <laughs> uh, but also such favorites now as Gothica, House of Wax, the remake from 2003. Uh, also, I haven't seen this. This is in our hat, too, from 2009, Orphan which has a sequel I like Orphan up. a lot. And then it's just, then they kind of trickle throughout. But they, this is kind of, I don't know, this, the handful of their aughts films, they really, uh, they're really just so indicative of the aughts horror films. And yeah. it's funny how this one, I feel like mostly, you know, is its own cool thing and is kind of um, a aberrant aberration, whatever you'd say, of their other films. But um I will get into where it did remind me too much of the other films. Yeah. And that where it didn't work. But anyway. Yep. Great. Well, what did happen in this film with our buddies uh, Elsa and Clive? Um, Elsa and Clive apparently have just utter free reign to do whatever they want in their little lab. And they're experimenting on... I guess you would call it kind of DNA hybridization to create, you know, super, super species that can help medically, you know, like either they have, you know, a particular protein that can be isolated that can like cure cancer or whatever, or anything in that realm. And it's a, it's not so overtly like, fiction sciencey pseudosciencey it's like kind of based in some fairly you know grounded well i like the sort stuff. of what it's really grounded in as it's kind of its jumping off point is that they create the normalization where as long as we're testing on animals it's all okay and and playing god or whatever is okay right. mixing creatures and stuff blah 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 like whatever they're doing to make their weird like lump animal that's, that's like right. a platypus dog uh like newt or something that they make yeah but as the but then as soon if you introduce human dna into it that's 
where the moral quandary comes up, which is, I feel like, very indicative of our world. Right. And that was, I don't remember when, remember the the sheep cloning thing became mm-hmm. a big headline. I don't, I, I feel like it was earlier than, way earlier than this, but um, it's sort of, you know, it's it's coming off of that question of like the slippery slope. Like if you start doing it with animals, when do we start doing it with humans? And like, what's the ethical, moral, you know, line, I guess. Um, so anyway, they cross that line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and pay the repercussions. They make a little splice human slash all sorts of other stuff. Which did you did they ever actually say what the other animals are? I don't feel like they do. I think they mentioned it in reference to the actual one, like the the oh, okay. the actual approved ones, right? But then the idea was that this one is her DNA plus those, right? Okay, fair enough. Um, it seems like we could just look at it at the 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 being that's created. And say it's got some scorpion aspects. It's got some <laughs> lizard or reptile aspects. Uh, it has bird aspects later. Bat. Bat, maybe. Fish. Yeah. Yep, fish. So it's a lot. It's a bunch of different things. It's got very, it's, the legs are very um, almost bovine, I would say. It feels like, it's cool. What it feels like, it's, it's sort of, it's like a default like creature that just kind of evolves to its environment in a way. I don't know. It was interesting how they present it. Yeah. Um, So they make the thing, (laughs) they hatch the thing. Uh, The thing grows very quickly. So their whole attitude is, well, we're going to get to watch this, this, whatever you want to call it, creatures full life cycle because it's, it's um, development is so quick. Uh, and then they get attached to it in weird ways, both of them in sort of different ways. And then it becomes, it kind of devolves into this thruple (laughs) kind of thing. Um, how else can you say? It's a real family drama for the ages. (laughs) Yeah, it becomes a weird parent-child incestuous thing um and the thread is always there because the the splice being what's her name dren dren which is nerd backwards <laughs> good one guys uh yeah dren kind of you know starts to become more more and more sentient and more and more like hey i'm i'm not an animal but you know there's the there's a caged songbird sing or something like that i don't know <laughs> I feel like we'll get into what happens to it when we talk about what worked. So, yeah, but it's, you know, it's a cool, it's, it's, you know, it's got classic structural storytelling stuff, Island of Dr. Moreau, you know, realm stuff. Great, great setup for sci-fi, you know, quandary. Yeah, absolutely. Monster movie indeed at, at its core. Yeah. Great. Well, then are you good to move on to what worked? Why not? Great, then I'll say it again. Why not? What what worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? It worked like a charm, Smith. What worked? What worked for you? 
Well, I already said up front to get out of the way. It's overall, it has a unique feel and tone. The the look of it, the the mood, all yeah. that good stuff. And that's that's when something will usually elevate to a rent it for me. I just am, okay. that's something I'm endlessly fascinated with in filmmaking is how they're, you know, in a different location, shooting a different scene or whatever, same location, doesn't matter. They're shooting a different scene and yet some like largely ineffable, consistent thing is present, giving the whole thing a feel that like really only maybe comes together when all the elements are in place. And uh, this one delivers its very own flavor of that. I wish I'd seen more of the filmmaker's other works or any of his other works so I could kind of assign that to him, I guess. But for now, it just feels like its own cool blend of, it's easy to compare to Cronenberg, but it's it's got its own weird kind of like horror comedy sensibility to it or dark dark sensibility to it. I don't know. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I, I'm not sure how to identify exactly what the like filmmaking style is, but it does have a style. Um, Part of it on a technical side is a lot of the movie is shot in this very, um, wide lens almost fisheye lens thing to make you feel like the world is warping around you and it's in closed spaces so you're seeing a lot of the space but you know it's a small room and that has this claustrophobic you know they're in a lab a lot so they're in these tiny rooms um, but the lens is so wide that you're getting it's a distorted version of that and then their faces you know get distorted and you know as things get more more intense and heightened um but then they, you know, they break that by leaving and going into this barn setting later. And it becomes way, way more kind of traditional cinematic filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, but it, it, it is, it has a style to it. Yeah, it's weird. Like this, what I'm trying to define or pinpoint as much as we can, it's less like in the filmmaking and how it's shot, but almost more like in the... The, like the the wardrobe and how the characters are. Do you know and- what it is? Here's part of what it is. And we've talked about this before. It's a movie, right? Like at no point are we are we meant to feel like we're in like a grounded reality. We're in a movie reality. And yes. everything, the design, the lighting, the filters, the lenses is all very much this is a film. This is a different world. The kind of sinister that the corporate suits are. Right, yeah. Like, they have an interview in a totally, like, like blank room. It's just, it's just a v- empty void of blackness. And, and they're <laughs> sitting around a, a black, you know, topped table. And he, you know, the, the suits are all wearing black suits, right? Like, yeah. it's very, very much like this is all so st- Staged, right? It's it's very close to comic book sort of paneling. Yeah, even the barn location that they moved to. Totally. It's, her, oh, it's old abandoned house she grew up at. It's a pretty heavy backstory we get into with her. It feels, yeah, it, like it could be a comic book adaptation. Yeah, there's always like huge beams of light spilling through a scene and mm-hmm. it's sort of like, yeah, but that wouldn't exist. But we don't, 
I don't think you think that in the moment, right? You just kind of you you've been drawn into this this palette that has been created. But if you step back and go, okay, what am I actually looking at? There are scenes that are nighttime scenes with gold light coming through the barn. It's sort of like, well, where the hell would that come from logically? It wouldn't. It wouldn't exist. But, it's but cool. it does, yeah. and it looks cool, and, but it, and it looks sort of this otherworldly cinematic thing. So cool. Like, it does feel very much like, though, it is of those aught movies where it's like they're kind of eschewing this idea of grounded reality, which was really up and coming in that re- in that era, right? Like, yeah. that was the transition post 9-11 of like, no, 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 let's do dark and gritty grounded reality. I feel like it mostly comes from, which is interesting, just something with the characterizations. Because like, yeah. like I say, the, like the, 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 uh, what would you call it? The the mini pool? Like what what is that that's in the barn where that dren the, tr- the trough, I guess? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like that in itself, you could it could be it's something in reality, right? Correct. And like the idea of the monster going in there and swimming around in it and that visual could be in a film that somehow takes place in our reality, despite the monster stuff. Um but it but I guess why I mentioned like that, that's an example of something that at the same time, it just feels like it's adding up to its own world with how it's presented, right. even though it could be in reality. So yeah, it's the, it's right on the edge of the cartoon version of a thing, right? Yeah. It, it Typically, I think nowadays, and this isn't true for everything, but there seems to be post 9-11, there's more of this emphasis on like the difference between say, well, let's use something that's inherently um, over the top, right? So you take a comic book movie. Um, the the difference between like the early 2000s Spider-Man, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, and how over the top everything is. It's like the costume is is so, I mean, it's like jumping out at you, right? Mm-hmm. The design, it's like, this kid, it's it's totally breaking any like logic reality. Like Peter Parker would not have been able to make that <laughs> costume, right? Yeah. But for the sake of it looking cool and being, you know, like out there and like uh, you know whatever, having this wild texture to it and all that, they just do it and they just go, we'll, we'll accept it. Like the Green Goblin is wearing like a Power Ranger outfit, yeah. like it's so over the top. And then you jump to. 15 years later and you see this modern grounded MCU stuff and everything has been worn down like as if it's been worn you know thousands of times like the the design is like no 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 we need the 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 upholstery on that chair cannot look new it can't be a new thing because that chair lives in this world that has existed forever and so there's this overemphasis on like aging and distressing and like whatever. Early aught stuff didn't they're like here's a crisp new shirt, you know, like plaid, it's not it's not just like a subdued like like muted plaid. It's like the loudest plaid you could possibly find, <laughs> right? And yeah. and it, and it it's fine because it's speaking to the characters and sort of this over the top notion of who they are. But it's like clown makeup on you know 
somebody who's just trying to to be a normal person walking through the world. And it's like, that's really like intense. Yeah. But it just is. That's just, it, it's the nature of that style of filmmaking or that it's attitude. Po- point taken. And I, I'll defer to you on the Spider-Man movie, the new, I haven't seen the new Spider-Mans, but it's funny. Like, cause I don't have that association as a whole. This is another discussion, but with the Marvel movies where like, I think, they're their own surreality because of this well, that, like whitewashed like they they're like a whitewashed version of reality that just I don't know it's its own weird thing. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> it's I, I just think it's interesting because I would uh, I I'm not well, aware of the comparison. Well, just for example, in the most recent Spider-Man continuity, let's say, before Spider-Man is given a suit by, you know, Iron Man who has endless amount of money to make cool tech stuff he's literally just wearing sweats Mm -hmm. that's his costume right sweatpants sweatshirt hood and like a shitty mask that he that he made out of that material so it's the 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 the, what's his face is in the the sam raimi spider-man's he made his own little wrestling costume first (laughs) that's right (laughs) well Okay, on on this film, what worked? And I can tie it to what we're talking about. World building, its own unique reality. Having it start off under this guise of like, and this is a very Cronenberg thing too, of like a fictional, yet maybe we could just buy it, company and company name. Right, right. That does a lot, I think, already for just sort of setting us up in its own movie world. Yeah, we just go, okay. Yeah, I like Got it. Got it. And again, that, that comic book comparison too, but I like that and that's fun. And I, yeah, I, I, it was fun falling into this world. I enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, my issues with what we're, discuss, like what we're describing and sort of the over-the-topness aside, like that's a whole other, like I don't like it, so we'll talk about it later. <laughs> but like the the basic concept of messing around with gene sequencing or, or you know the the sort of science realm of mad it's mad scientist stuff right frankenstein it's all of that i love that and you could almost do anything and i would still be like yeah it's still cool like whatever yeah. even if it's crap i could i would still be like yeah but the idea is cool so like just starting there is kind of enough for me and it it does override a lot of these other things that I kind of roll my eyes at or like feel are cringy or just dorky or dumb <laughs> because I'm like, yeah, but also there's that blob monster, right? right like, exactly. You Jim. know, and, or like this, you know, when the, when the in utero, the, what, what is that called? It's got like a Brittany or something like that is the name Veronica, Brittany, uh, it's the, it's the, the uterus, the like fake uterus. Fred thing. and Ginger are the names of right. the two. No, but when they inseminate the the splice thing, it's in like a, a fake uterus. Not mm-hmm. fake, but a, you know, like a, I, I can't think of words right now, but a faux uterus. Um, and getting your arm stuck in there. Like, you know what I mean? Like that whole sequence of something's yeah. wrong. It's growing too fast. Like we have to like, break open the machine to like get your hand out of there like all of that kind of stuff that to me is like bread and butter 
that's the that's what I want from this type of movie. So like delivering on that is great. Yeah, and I mean, and uh, yes, I agreed. And the designs themselves just are so weird and unique mm-hmm. too. Yeah, I, I I love it for that. Um, God, it's weird little like flea mole rat human face. <laughs> like I don't know, just, yeah. you know what I mean? Yep, yep. Uh, but then what? What's great? What comes with all that that you're saying, which I love too, is then these uh, moral implications, which right. Adrian Brody, <laughs> what's his, Clive, uh, <laughs> you know, says like when she's running gun about it, and he says, "Well, yeah, no, but what about?" I'm saying the moral implications or the questions, da da. And she comes right back at him. You mean the moral implications of this could save thousands of people's lives? So it has that. It just, I don't know. It actually worked for me. Sometimes that isn't on the level of nuance where I'm like, mm. uh, yeah, I don't know. The, those two opposing points. It feels like you need a little more in the conversation. But this one I felt was really strong where it did feel like it was just kind of stumping me in the good way of they, you felt both of their arguments. Yeah. Yes, there were. So yeah, the arguments themselves are sound. Okay. (laughs) And then, and then there's the sort of a caveat to that, that I think is a big part of, of my, what didn't work stuff. But the, yeah, and that, like, thank God the arguments are sound, because otherwise <laughs> it would just fall apart, right? Like, you can't argue bad points. Yeah. I and, mean, you can, but it won't do well. <laughs> and like other movies in this formula, I think it did a good job of once the cat's out of the bag, it, like, it's kind of, like, too late, you know, how mm-hmm. it ramps up. Like, would we get it where he explains to his brother who discovers it? Right. Like, we're we're almost yelling as if, like... Uh, yeah, but if you were there, you'd get like he was trying to st- Adrian Brody. He was trying to stop it from happening. Right. But then right. this happened. But then this happened. But then this happened. Yeah. It does a really good job of getting us, I thought, to buy into the the escalation of it all. Because then you know, once it gets to the point where they learn it's out, and they learn it's aging relatively quickly to them. Mm-hmm. So then, okay, well then that could be similar to just killing it off if it's going to be dead in a week anyway. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, uh. <laughs> yes. Okay. Correct. <laughs> well, I could keep going here then if you're holding your tongue a bit. I kind of am. Well, a great way to sort of get at what a film is and what it's doing, how it's tying into everything else we're saying, its own tone and own world, is you jump to what are the standout scenes or sequences. Yeah. And... Biggest one for me, Tim, I loved it so much, was the presentation to, I guess, the investors. <laughs> yeah. It was like the room, the little like hall when, that looked straight out of it. When did that happen, do you think, about mid midway or two-thirds of the way through the movie? I feel it's like pretty more late midway. Out. Is it? Okay. But it was, uh, and it looks, again, straight out of a Cronenberg yes, movie where it's agreed. somewhere between like uh, a, a hall and uh, a lecture hall and kind of uh, where you'd have a conference. Yeah. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's, it's exactly like what you'd see from Cronenberg movies. It's so funny. But oh my God, Tim, that like, it was just so good that as far as being representative of the dark humor that I think is in the film. Yeah. It was great. But it was like the, there's an equal like almost kind of horror and satisfaction when the two blobs like 
turn on each other and grow their spike and fight right, each right. other. And it's just, it's a great example too of even this is 2009, we think of old, I think the CG overall holds up. It does, yeah. yeah, I agree. And it's done so well in combination though with the practical effects. Like right. the gore of when they start ripping each other up, it's just so violent. <laughs> and it's like, I was already loving it enough, just them all in shock and horror and freaking out over these two weird flea creatures attacking each other. <laughs> but then <laughs> but then when it topples over and, the, and they're already dead and the glass and weird monster creature gore like right. covers the everyone in the front of the audience it's so good and yeah. meanwhile they're just over there freaking out the stakes are there of we know you know this has been a big project and <laughs> yeah. how the, how they are to their their stuffy um overseers you know lots riding on it i i i thought that scene was everything that yeah i i think that scene is more of what the movie could have been in a way. Like a little bit more of it's us against them. Whereas like, I mean, not to get into criticizing, but like it do- this movie doesn't do that. Uh, it doesn't present it in a way that has uh, immediate conflict. It's, it's, this, the movie mostly is an isolation movie. And so like this scene suddenly shows up and it's all out there like literally on the table and <laughs> yeah. the conflict of, of like what we're doing versus what they want is ex- coexisting in, in this moment. And I really like that is gold to me because it, it is this like throw it in literally throwing it in their face <laughs> from both directions. Right. Like it's a, it's a loss for the scientists and it's a sort of middle finger to the, the corporate overlords or whoever they are, the, the people who are pulling the strings, I guess, or like holding the purse strings is probably a better yeah. way of putting it. It's, there's something so satisfying about it that it's not like human or animal gore, that it is this, this kind of disturbing, off-putting man-made yet somehow organic like right. it, just everything about how weird these little creatures are the fact that it's gore from them it just well i and think the, it's beautiful <laughs> the amount of of blood slime <laughs> that comes out is sort of illogical and in, in like you're like the neither of those two creatures could have possessed that much but sure you, but you're just like but yeah I, I don't know. I'm into it anyway. There was they're pretty chunky, those two Fred and Ginger. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> they had a lot of meat in them. There is such and meat. Th- there is such a beautifully blatant bucket throw of blood onto the audience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's but really it's great. It's all cut so well yeah, and yeah. it's it just works on every level. Agreed. Do you have a a scene that stood out to you outside of that one? Oh man. I mean, to me, the sex scene is really kind of like where it's all headed. <laughs> yes, I'm glad. You know, I'm glad you're on that side of it. It just, it's sort of like that's, of course, that's where we need to go with this. Yes. Now, I have problems, I guess, with kind of the, the maybe the, the logic of how it comes about. Apparently, uh, she, Dren uses pheromones to seduce him. <laughs> okay, well, we, that would have been nice to lean in on a little bit more. <laughs> Um, <laughs> <laughs> so good. Like, Instead of us just being like, 
Hmm, I guess he's just into it. Half of uh like half of the reviews for this movie on Letterboxd are just men will literally have sex with anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Adrian Brody, it just—it's so perfect. I don't know. I love it. But you're right. I, it's a natural conclusion when you're talking about yeah. crossbreeding and senses of like parentship and changing relationships and involving as you go. It's it's pretty darn loaded. That's right because the whole thing is predicated on this idea of. Ooh, how, let me see if I can articulate this well. Probably not. When you start to play God, you are deconstructing the agreed upon boundaries that we have established as humans. And so the logical uh, de-evolution, I guess, of that, like if you carry on with that, the logical dark path direction that you're going to go in is toward like debauchery or to, toward you know some sort of less um mm, not moral but less sort of ah damn what am a, i trying to like say like a less uh evolved consciousness of, yeah yeah of what we think of as humanity and a, a world of rules and limits Right, it's that I, we've talked about this in very sort of passing terms before, but there's sort of like, and I'm sure there's you know a person who should be credited with with this spectrum, but at the top of a, of the sort of human spectrum of consciousness, there's like altruism, right? Like pure altruism, and at the bottom, there's this sort of like underbelly shadow self, and it's all kind of just based in like the id, you know, like just get off, just get what you want, and that's kind of what we're doing right like once you start to break down the goal which was altruism help everybody your only other option is to fall into the shadow self stuff right because you've broken it you've you've chosen the wrong path and so I think this movie is all of that. That's what the movie is right it's a constant battle of should we fall into our like you know, darker depths of desire and like, you know, whatever idness, or should we do a thing to help the world? So what are, let's see, what are the quandaries that it brings up with Adrian Brody having sex with a, (laughs) I mean, what do we even call it? It's, it brings up his, he, he starts off having like a uh, a, a studied connection to it like it is this this thing right like give it a number mm. then that evolves into a more fatherly relationship within that of course you could say is he is he cheating on uh elsa but even it's though blurred. it's not human right it's not human and it's also blurred because it's her dna is it is there the idea of consent almost goes out the window because it's like Usually you say it's an animal, Oof. but it's also not. It's a. It's clearly smart and it's human a sentient and, being. and it's, can speak right. English and understands language. It's fully human in that sense and is the one who seduces him. Right. Is he a victim or, or not in this? <laughs> he probably is ultimately the primary victim or yeah of this story. 
because he's the one kind of constantly saying, this is a bad idea. Well, I thought, I mean, just kind of transitioning into their characters, what I did think was super, super smart. Maybe one of the things that worked best for you in this movie, character decision, uh, but then just plays into all this, like this scene even, and uh, how we're feeling about the any given moment. It starts off where, uh, it's so hard not to call him Adrian Brody, where Clive, he's the one saying, no, we got to kill this thing. Like, what do you, don't do this at all. He goes from saying, don't do this at all to let's kill this thing immediately. He's always the one, you know, saying this is wrong. What about the moral implications? Blah, 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 blah. She's the one who starts off like, you know, and he mm-hmm. calls her out on it. He, she's kind of making it as like a surrogate child for herself. Mm-hmm. Actually, can I pause you on that? Yeah. Just to just to point out one the real strength of character arc in this, in exactly what you just said. Adrian Brody starts cold and calculated, ends up emotionally connected. Well, that's exactly where I was going. Okay, good. Sarah Polly, the opposite is true. Right? That's exactly what I was saying. Is (laughs) it starts off that way and then they flip roles halfway through. It's very clear too. It's like they they cross and it's and it's it's I don't know it's it's really interesting like because you go from f- really feeling for Sarah Polly's just sorry Elsa's <laughs> like you know maternal instincts of just no just take care of this thing while mm-hmm. it's here like why do you have to just be mean to it like mm-hmm. show it what's so bad about showing it affection like relating to her there it feels like but then and we get her own backstory where basically she's was as a child left in a destitute, like forced into a sort of cold, destitute situation by her parents of just sort of being abused in a way, um, being left in destitution. Remember, mm-hmm. I mean, there's the whole moment where she says, wow, your, this is, your room is really uh, l- let go here. And she says, no, this is how it, it does look. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it looks how it looks 20 years abandoned is how it looks <laughs> yeah. when she was living there. So she gets, she has a pretty abusive sketch background. But anyways, when we get to the point where she's then, where when Dren, I think it's when she kills the cat and Sarah <laughs> Polly, she, Elsa flips out and like scolds her. And I think she even goes as far as, does she hit her or she's about she, to? Yeah, she does. Yeah. So just she slaps her. Seeing her, then move to that, it all of a sudden, that's, I guess, just an example of the character flip that happens, but then is also sort of affecting how we feel about each one and who we're kind of rooting for at any given moment. It's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think the other sort of, to me, the other standout is the torture scene where she's, where Elsa, you know, cuts the the tip of the tail off and, like, ties her down and is just, like, exactly, stripping yeah. her naked and... And just really like going off, and it's just like whoa, whoa! You this this setup of you have this maternal instinct. This is, I think, this is a common. Um, I don't know if you would call it a trope exactly, but I guess a common theme is the theme of the mother, the nurturing mother. Um, once the child crosses ceases to be a child do you still have that nurturing connection and and i think man i mean i'm kind of speaking out of turn here because i I don't know the the (laughs) details but like yeah i feel like there is this sort of in nature 
with with certain animal species there's this weird dynamic of the protecting your young or eating your young <laughs> you know dynamic where it's like where and why does that uh line get crossed or where i thought you may be going is the dynamic of protecting one's young but then at a certain point it's like that that's flipped of like the young being the empower one right and right. then all of a sudden that that can be fraught with some kind of conflict yeah yeah there, so there's some there's that's all wrapped up in this um it, which i think is really it's cool to look at because it's just very complicated and like the <laughs> characters for all of their maybe lack of logic or their sort of flawed it is a movie so you're trying to jam it into this two hours <laughs> so you know take that for what it's worth but it, it the context of what's going on is certainly still really interesting to watch them ha- go through these really really like gray area battles <laughs> Within themselves, externally and internally. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's again, the, the strength of this movie to me is the, is the concepts and the setup of those concepts and seeing how the characters have to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, and that was enough to keep me engaged largely. Yeah, mostly just for me. Those, those characters, um, yeah, as you said, dealing with all this from another thing I liked was that scene where he drowns her because he's trying to kill her but then she evolves gills when you know as he's doing it so then that question comes up where she asks him oh you met you knew that was going to happen right right so obviously like oh yeah of course (laughs) like uh but the movie does just a good enough job of making us also wonder if he thought that might happen to me i was like they don't they don't sell like wholesale that he was trying to kill her to me. I don't know. I thought that was pretty clear. I, there's a glimmer for me of maybe it's because I saw it before, (laughs) but in the moment there was this glimmer to me that there was, he was sort of like, I think this will kill her, but I think like, I also, maybe I'm trying, maybe, maybe something else will happen. I don't know. For me, it felt just murky enough that I was like, oh, good. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. I don't know. uh, I don't know if this is a far reach on my part, but something that stood out to me, I thought was interesting and i liked sort of themes exploring maybe you can latch onto this and i'd be curious if you just thought this was being explored elsewhere or how it applies i don't know i like something about it and he'd help figuring it out it's when they say oh she's when when they discover her her she's aging more quickly right they say she's dying that's how they phrase it. They don't right. put it as she has a short lifespan. They view her length of life as meaning she's never inherently living. She's only ever dying. And that immediately sent me on the thread of like, well, couldn't we just say that about all of us? Like, yeah. And just, you know, depending on the how an animal, how long its lifespan is, like one's living and one's dying. That doesn't seem like we're all dying compared to... 
tortoises or whatever. Like, well, I think what it does it, is it establishes this very clinical view yeah. that, they're, that they're starting from, where they've been doing these experiments over and over and over again with with failed results so much that in their minds, that's their normal. That's their baseline. The the experiment leads to the death of the of the item that they're trying to accomplish or whatever. And so it makes sense that they would start from that framework of like, oh, it's dying already, like it always does. And then have that not, well, it's still kind of the case, but have have to face the the moral implication of the of how things progress to be like oh wait we need to not have this sort of clinical unemotional view of these things because that is a being that we've grown an attachment to right and yeah exactly that approach it's it's ruling the approach they take is ruling what you just said out it feels like because it's almost as if they use its short lifespan to justify doing whatever they want. They totally with it. do, yeah. Like, oh, it's, it's 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 already dying, so we can just you know cut off its tail and use it and just study right. what, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it really to me the big the big broad sort of commentary, I guess, is is just like, is it okay to experiment on other like living creatures? Right, like when you take out the, the uh, what would you call it? Like the 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 caring or the it, just the sympathy that you should have, I guess, for any living creature. When I you mean, take that out, like who are like what are we then? We're <laughs> we're doing this sort of god thing or god complex thing, and what does that what does that lead to? I think it's like. I mean, you can guess my answer on that. <laughs> sure. I feel about animal testing, but I think it's kind of like anything too, where, well, we only got to where we are right now by doing things how we did them. So it's all about how hard of a stance do we take in trying to build another yeah, world. The, yeah, like where do we land on the moral spectrum of like what's worthwhile? I mean, and that's, that's what I sort of started up with bringing up is there it's okay if it's only animal dna you're effing with they're deciding that yeah exactly i think a lot of people would argue <laughs> that that's also messed up right but i'm just but they don't that's but then you can yeah. you can continue that thread you know infinitely right like if you think it's bad to kill animals well i and, you know, I think it's bad to kill plants then, you know, like, like plants are still living. And then you're like, okay, well then let's, what's the next level down? Like, wh where do you end with microorganisms? Like, do, like, you can't, you can't exist without destroying other things around you. Right. So, like, how do we measure that? And what, where do we come to an agreement on, like, you know, being, what are we okay with? I, uh, and that's that's look. I'm not. I don't. I'm not making an opinion. I'm just saying like that's a really big conversation and question to to discuss. I agree. I've I've written a whole movie about it, and it's yeah. all about that. But I mean, I know you aren't speaking for yourself, but just as a like that is a quandary people think about. 
I, <laughs> I sorry if this goes off topic, but I have to mention because that is like often a biggest like thing that people say about veganism is like, well, plants are alive too. And I just have to say to that, like, yes. But I think, you know, if it comes down to, there's there's a subjective experience that one can fall back on, I think, of does it feel different to kill an animal versus picking this lettuce up? Mm-hmm. And I think largely what that amount is speaking to of like, yeah, but what about plants? They're worthy. I think that more speaks to how we generally as a society, even if it is just like an all plant-based meal, don't stop and think about, you know, be, or be grateful for it or think about where it came from or how it is a living thing. You know, it's all just that's right, that's stuff. Right. So I think that is more about how plants and animals equally when it's in the form of food, people just view it as stuff. And when they're saying, well, what about plants when thinking about animals? It's just like that that part but i think it's 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 forever complicated because you can't also farm crops without inherently destroying the environment around those crops like just if you farm anything you're going to inevitably kill wildlife around it when you when you till the farm you're going to inadvertently kill a bunch of mice and moles and rabbits and like rodents that just happen to exist down there. Like you're that's like, it's so everything is so enmeshed that we're, I think at a, at a certain point you can't, the argument can't just be, Oh, I don't want to kill living things. The argument needs to be like, how are we doing the thing in, in the most, uh, you know, not humane but in a way that isn't like you're saying just disregarding yeah everything i I think the phrase you're looking for that vegans actually use is saying uh the goal is to minimize suffering sure yeah it's not yeah it's not a black and white thing And, and acknowledging that you can't bring it to zero you just can't that's not possible like if you walk down a path, you're going to step on things unknowingly, and that will have destroyed the things. But, like the, uh, what are they called? You know the little stacks of rocks on trails? The, like, marker yeah, stacks that yeah. people do? There's this big movement of, like, yo, don't, don't do that. Don't move rocks off the trail just because you want to make a little marker or, like, make a little cool tower. Because there are organisms that that's their habitat. Like they live under those rocks. And when you move it, you kill them. So just just minimize your impact, yo. Like just try to keep it. it we're going to have an impact no matter what. But don't be an asshole about it. Like the more you know. Dun, 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 dun. Well, and, and that is where we're at where it feels like it's being used as an excuse. Of, well, I'm going to hurt something anyways. That's right. That's the wrong way of framing that, right? Like, you are going to. So make an effort to minimize it. Don't just be like, well, it doesn't matter anyway. So we got here somehow from <laughs> from Spice. from her saying she's, from them deciding that it's short lifespan. Yeah, because they're, them- <laughs> they're starting with kind of the kind of the shittier version of this attitude of like, well, this is just what we do. And like, you know, everything's disposable because greater good. 
And it's like, yeah, that's still you're kind of starting at the wrong place. And the movie (laughs) forces them to look at that and go through a thing that lands them at the other end, kind of. I think the goal is that it lands them at the other end. I don't know if the movie succeeds at that necessarily, (laughs) but that's the goal. I like that, that since it's a monster movie and we don't have a lot of deaths when it got to that one where that one corporate guy who's always on their case gets like picked up by flying Dren and like (laughs) torn up and torn thrown into the tree. That was cool. That's right. That's right. He got what he deserved. Um, so yeah, I don't know. All in all, I think the design is pretty cool. Oh my God. I mean, yeah, I've been saying that all along. Absolutely. Um, the finale, I think is pretty okay. It's not like, I didn't think it was like a home run, but like using this, this, uh, um, conceit that, given a certain environment the these this this being i guess will flip gender uh when threatened or whatever the i forget what the actual conceit is but you know using that to to progress into a a, a higher threat level at the end for the finale is cool and smart yeah when it turns into when it switches gender the it clearly looks like a dude all of a sudden where it it, is (laughs) intense and threatening looking too just like ah i like that concept too just from a really broad thematic thing of like the masculine versus the feminine sort of metaphor for the for those genders is like what how we associate threat between masculine and feminine things like i think that's really interesting just an interesting realm to be in because we have that response right like she's super threatening the whole time yeah and then suddenly we get this transition into now she's male and you're like oh that's way worse she uses (laughs) her femaleness to pheromone adrian brody though that's right yeah so it's i mean i think all that stuff is really smart and cool and woven well um i thought it was neat how there's you know there's all these moral questions brought up about splicing and animals all this stuff we mentioned but it's also just because the the does the like classic monster movie thing werewolf or whatever that when you're like how we feel when we're watching dren is we get this is an unknowable unpredictable mix of human and animal which sort of gets at like mm-hmm. the wolfman thing of uh there's the the animal side is always you know this unpredictable there's a lot of good tense scenes in this movie where it feels like okay we want to reach out empathy and da 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 mm-hmm. but like are we reaching out to a human right now or is that the same as like trying to coax a bear to hug you you know it, <laughs> it yeah it you which it's 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 really cool in it's, that regard. That's right. It's straight up. This we this is animal and human. Speaking, Speaking of, which, of animals, yeah, and uh, we don't know at any given time. And this is a new thing, so we really aren't studied in where it's going to air one way or the other. It's that thing though that it, I think this is so. It's still on the realm of of humans having this sort of like god complex where they think they can do it and like. You know, like they think they can go camp out with grizzly bears and and that like they have somehow risen above 
you know, just being a uh, at risk being in in somebody else's territory. Like well, it's the arrogance or the hubris of it all. It's and the grizzly man guy he he did get to hang out with bears. That's right, but just at quite the cost. Right. I mean, yeah, it's, it's like your 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 assumption that everything's cool is ignoring the natural sort of order of things which is like yeah the bear you you have somehow made your way into their little um ecosystem and they know you exist and whatever but there's still a wild animal that has needs and doesn't care about you i think that's kind of a big part of it like wild animals don't care there's a reason they're wild versus domesticated and even domesticated animals can bite you right like there still is this line yeah so you know don't be so arrogant to think that you got it all under control yeah which it's they that's what they're writing during this movie though you know they sort of waver between and at any given time one might be more cautious or more arrogant i do like that the brother (laughs) the brother literally goes like what's your end game here? <laughs> and they're like, mm, well, you know, initially we were just going to kill it, but we kind of that we're off the rails now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do like how this wrapped up the ending, ending, ending of just bringing up the moral questions of, but at what cost in mm-hmm. that, in the end, their goal of doing whatever they're trying to do to save lives, they achieve it. Yeah, but then it's at the cost. Of, but it's kind of it's it's muddied morally because of two things, which I think very real world. It's the the corporate lady and on top of her, all she cares about is the money. Even when it's even when it's about the moral question of using human DNA, right. she's only worried about that because of a bad public PR. A, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like Okja, bad PR, but but. uh but then like what Sarah Polly was always after, but it will save lives. But look at what it took to get there. Not only did they make this thing, which could have been, you know, breaking some kind of thing we shouldn't have been doing in the first place, playing God, but also people had to die. For, yeah. Along the way. So yeah. Progress but, always has a cost, I guess is the lesson. But isn't that like what, you know, Marvel bad guys and bad guys in movies, they always say, you know, progress always comes. Or a James Bond villain, it feels like that's always... Yeah, of, of late, yeah, the modern versions of these villains have very much leaned into that thing. Yeah, progress always comes at a cost. Yeah. Can't break, you know, gotta break a few eggs to make an omelet. Well, to be, you know, to use the comic book analogy, that's what makes good heroes interesting, is that they have a a line that they won't cross and then they're forced to go up against that line and figure out an even better solution while maintaining while not crossing the line like batman having to reveal his identity or batman i mean this isn't true for the movies but in the comic books what makes batman so interesting and and have longevity is that his moral code is that he does not kill people he will not cross that line and so all of his villains basically are just constantly being like putting him in a situation where the not the easiest, but the most logical way to to end the conflict is to have to kill somebody to get to the bad guy. 
and they use that as a like a shield all the time so it's it makes his plight interesting that he has to find a way around that while maintaining his moral code same with superman same with a lot of these heroes like peter parker like all that's that's why we consider them heroes is because they can overcome that boundary and that like being put up against it they don't just give in and that's how like thanos sees himself as a hero though right but yeah exactly but he's he's uh god he what how would you even put it he has no um uh he has no line right like he he's like no this is just for the greater good i don't care that a half of the population is just going to be dead well he says i'm the one willing to cross this line that's right that's, that's right yeah and he's justifying it i love how he's just like farming his weird eggplant things like it's so good <laughs> that's, right. that's who he is yeah and even when he gets killed he's kind of like well i did i did what i said i was gonna do so i you know so be it cool i mean that's uh i think that wraps up what worked for me with splice agreed agreed great Move on. We'll splice it up to our next section here. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? (laughs) So what wasn't working for me, since this is what did not work, was really all some stuff in the back end, Tim. Mm. There's the final set piece i guess when they're out in the snow and they're and dren's going after them and it's just this monster fight attack scene something about all that is when i referenced earlier there was an aspect of this film that felt like a dark castle entertainment production it felt so out of place for this movie just to have a overly just i don't know typical run-of-the-mill kind of action set piece ending it it feels like it's on a stage too that yeah i think took me out of it which is fine i guess um but it just felt yeah it just wasn't the style it wasn't consistent with the rest of the movie it felt like there was something that was a bit more unique that could have still felt like a i don't know the right stakes that just wasn't just like it going around attacking them and oh no you know she she hits it with the rock then it hits back like whatever all that stuff was just kind of like okay whatever yeah well when you when you remove dren's persona from the equation we cease to have a connection to that character that we've built a connection to throughout and it just kind of i think it deflates the stakes of the moment. It just becomes a predator-prey sequence. But we have no connection to the predator anymore. So, like, I feel like there's they're missing a bunch of, like, opportunity for more intense conflict that has consequences and stakes, as you're, as you're saying, right? Like, having the brother know and be the thing that leads to them being kind of found out seems just like a plot like move the plot ahead thing instead of actually having it cause like real conflict like i would love to have seen the the trouble that 
having the brother know and potentially out them what that would cause and what what it would cost them. Like I think Adrian Brody's character needed to have to be in a moment of like, I have to actually play God in this moment to preserve what we want to preserve and kill my brother Hmm. to stop him from outing us like it matters that much i don't i don't know if i like that but i get what you're saying i'm just saying as an an example like more stuff like more internal problem stuff rather than just oh monsters on the loose i mean i don't know what it is but for me it's just about throwing in one more uh what if or as i always say uh a potent possibility to pursue what is the thing that they just could have yeah, asked a certain what if and just brought the conflict to another level of what's something that could only be done with this creature in this movie versus just, you know, them fighting each other by hitting each other. Here's one. What if Adrian Brody had gotten her pregnant? And then that... that Didn't then, that happen? I was assumed that was the case. No, because it gets interrupted. Right, 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 right. So, but I think you could go down that path where, like, maybe you think or everybody thinks that that didn't happen, but then we find out that somehow it right. did. We didn't even talk about. I mean, this is. I guess. I mean, we should mention though. Maybe this is what we're getting at. It does. The Dren does rape Sarah Polly's character, Elsa. And that leads us into the ending where she's pregnant. So that does happen and, and it's crazy yeah. and intense. Yeah. But it's, it's not almost thrown away though. Yeah, exactly. That's the problem exactly. with it. Yeah. yeah there yeah, needs yeah. to be more stakes. Like, what is Adrian Brody's reaction <laughs> Clive, to that? Clive, 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 Clive. What's Clive's reaction to that moment? I don't even remember. Yeah. He's just sort of, I mean, he kills Dren. In that moment, right? He stabs it. No, in but that but, that was there, and that that's is, not enough. It does. It's it's horrific and makes sense for this movie to go there. I think, but it did feel weirdly at the same time, like uh, mired or buried by the sort of just general fight that happened outside of it. The chase scene. Yeah, yeah. It just does. It just feels. Hmm. Anyway, whatever. Nah. <laughs> that wasn't so. My me. big thing uh, that didn't work for me is how I know it's a matter of efficiency because it's a movie, but scene to scene, the change in character attitude is just too fast. It's too like last scene I had this attitude, this scene I've changed my tune completely. And, it, and both of them suffer from this, uh, like, back and forth and it i guess the problem is and i'm not sure how you solve it but like it just doesn't feel organic Hmm. it feels like scene to scene they've just changed their minds and then that's to me that undercuts their the characters just you know like my their believability it's funny i just it just bugged me i wonder if if uh you know if that is something I would notice on a second viewing, I wonder if why I didn't notice or care or feel that way this time around was we didn't mention in what worked, but I just thought their performances were so great. I was just being sold from scene to yeah. scene, however they were feeling. <clears throat> yeah, I think that's true. Um, it just, 
I wish I could come up with a specific example where I'm like, in this scene, <laughs> they're saying this, and then the next scene, they say the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> but it fe- it felt like, and, may- and maybe that's not entirely true that it's scene to scene, but it that was the feeling I got uh, like halfway through the movie where I was just like, guys, like, I you know, when when um Elsa Elsa when she flips from being like nurturing mom to like no I'm just gonna torture this thing it just was so abrupt to me I know that there's stuff that leads up to it but I just was like it doesn't ring true to me so basically while we were commending and you're agreeing commending the character switch that there there's there's sort of roles that they switched along the way that didn't totally uh, the feel feel like it was handled well yeah the the bones of doing that felt right the nuance of how we get there felt lacking and i i just was like yeah i could see that um the only other thing i had was the last line that just you want i mean i when what worked i went on with what did work about the ending for me about bringing up those questions and it didn't even mention then how she's pregnant on top of all that mm-hmm. too but she says uh when when the her the the ceo woman whoever that is she says um you know you are you sure you want to do this you could just put an end to it and walk away and uh she goes well what what's the worst that could happen you know in terms of her pregnancy <laughs> and it's the That's, pregnancy, she's pregnant with Dren, male Dren's spawn. It's nothing wrong with, I guess, like the line, I don't know. It just was one of those lines where it felt like it had to have some kind of like satisfying, ah, yes, like it all clicked in. And it's a line that was, it was sort of a, a, a little thing between her and Clive throughout the film where they'd sort of say it to each other, you know, at any given point, well, what's mm-hmm, the worst that could mm-hmm. happen? So it was supposed to be kind of just like cutesy and all click click together at the end, but it just fell flat for me. I don't yeah. know. It didn't feel good. That's all. It's it's too snarky. <laughs> it's too sort of cynical. It's like, come on. Yeah, I don't know. Just what do you think? It just didn't that's that that being inside of you is probably just gonna eat its way out. Like that's that's the worst that'll happen. I mean, I don't know, like literal context <laughs> aside of what the line means, just something about the delivery and it's being used at all. It just didn't click. I don't know. I th- I think it yeah, it kind of speaks to like my what doesn't land for me about the characters' attitudes is that I just am like, I don't I don't believe you. I think this happens a lot with Del Toro and some of the other... Well, he's produced this. That's what I mean. Yeah. And so there's a connection here, even with... Um, what's our what's our friend who did 47 Meters Down? Do you remember that Johannes. guy? Johannes. Yeah, Johannes. There's, there is, I think, a slight lost in translation when... Wait, because he's Canadian? <laughs> no, I just mean that like the way that some of some of the non there are people who I think don't write dialogue or character dialogue in a way that feels, I don't know. 
that it just I don't buy it. I think that's my problem. Well, it's weird because in we we established something that worked and was cool with this movie is that it exists in a movie world. And a lot of the times lines like this, they should be able to work in this world, but somehow the world that they did create, it wasn't one that allowed this. I think that's exactly what I'm, what I'm getting at. There are certain filmmakers and a lot of it is in the genre realm that I feel like they're how they think people behave. I, I don't, it doesn't land with me where I'm like, no, I don't believe that. And maybe that's because I'm a stickler for like believing, believability in performance and, and in writing. Like, because I really firmly believe that it, the, the words, the specific words in the script, although they matter to the broader, you know, whatever you're trying to accomplish, in, in performance, the line is never what matters. Yeah. It's, it's what the actor is able to imbue that line with and that's partially the the actor's job but it's also the director's job to make sure it's landing i felt like she what she did was good and true to what the the movie the line that is there but it's just it it was just that it felt like it was the kind of thing where it felt like it had to have an impact that it just wasn't having so it just feels awkward and bad yeah um anyway yeah um there is, yeah, I guess we talked about it already, but the stylistic nature of things is just not, it, it's not my taste, I guess. So the whole first, and like I said, I think before we start recording, I didn't remember the first 10 minutes of this film. Like it turned, like I turned it on and was like, oh damn, maybe I haven't seen this. And then I was like, no, I have. I just have completely blocked it out of my head because of whatever. I think it's just because it's not my thing. Um, the hip, the the tropiness of the hip scientist couple. Well, I liked that. <laughs> I just was like, I don't buy any of this. But I've that was I was fun raised little movie world. I know, though. I know. I was raised by a scientist though, and I'm sorry. They're they're nerd like they're nerds like it, they, these they, were like, nerds too they worked for nerds but they don't this is so a different this is a a a hollywood writer's idea of a cool nerd but it's a it's a comic book <laughs> fantasy right, of right. what is fun to see in a movie like yes. I, that's why i enjoyed it i know i get it but i find it it's just hard to get behind for me because i'm just kind of like eh eh like I much, I guess it's just taste. It's just taste. I'd much rather see the Ellen Ripley, you know, version of that, you know, that the first alien movie version of that kind of thing. It's just, I don't like caricature. It, but I don't know when, for me, it feels like, Sorry, but it feels on the level of like all the Marvel movies or something like that, where it's yeah the, the would, actors they compensate, they, they bring a kind of vitality and and I don't know um, humanity to these like this the movie world characters. See, I would I would disagree with 
that that that's what's happening in the current Marvel comic book movie uh, depictions. I think that's very much the case for stuff pre uh, 2010. Like pre 2010 was very like still almost to me not taking the world seriously. Mm-hmm. Like Ang Lee's Hulk is is just it's it's laughable in a lot of ways, <laughs> you know. Or like Blade has just just the, they're like comic book even Sam Raimi's Spider-Man they're like comic books are fun and funny and for kids and they I think they they demean the material in a way by ha- by starting there you can make them fun and funny for kids and still not demean it I remember being really into that first Spider-Man and bro wa- try watching it again okay I will Ooh. I've been wanting to I have it I have it on Blu-ray I'll let you I'll let you watch it all I have right. all three of them and I'm sorry I know some people love those movies and they think they're the end all be all. They do not hold up for me at all. There is a scene in the second Spider-Man, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, which people absolutely adore. There is a scene where Doc Ock robs a bank and Peter Parker and Aunt May are trying to get a loan at the same time. And Doc Ock breaks open a safe that's in the room. Like the vault for the bank is in the same room as the like, it's just a big room. Uh-huh. And he, I'm dude, he pulls out bags of coins that have dollar signs on them. I'm sorry, but that's, that's a cartoon version of reality. And I get it. We're Spider-Man, but like bags of coins with dollar signs on them. That's never existed in real life. You know what I mean? Like, it's just too, and we're supposed to, I just can't. And then he, he throws them at (laughs) Spider-Man and Spider-Man catches them and like webs them back at him and says, keep the change. I'm like, I'm out of here, man. I'm just, it's too dorky. (laughs) Well, I like how much we uh, are able to talk about the Marvel (laughs) movies for our splice episode. (laughs) Don't get me started or else I'll (laughs) never stop. Right. So anyway. It's a, it, it is point being, it's a taste thing when you tip too much into cartoon character in a live action movie, I'm always going to just kind of not be into it. Got it. Well, anything else or should we move on? Um, I guess not. I mean, I could kind of dig in some more about some of the points we've made. In particular, the the setting stuff just never felt right to me. But I don't I don't think it's really worth like <laughs> going deep into. All right then. Yeah. Okay. Well, then with that, we'll move on to our next section: things of note. Things of note. <laughs> this should be interesting. You know, I just got to mention something I forgot to mention for what worked, Tim. Okay. And file this specifically under scenes I wished I could have watched in the same room as you. This was one of my favorite scenes (laughs) I failed to mention. You know what it is. Do you want to say it? Do I know what it is? No, I don't. What's when he dances with Dren? (laughs) 
Oh God. It's like, it's just that brand of weird that I just love so much. And it's, with the the music on top of it that she's like wearing her dress but is like her legs or it's these weird raptor legs it's and he's dancing with her it's just yeah music come on you know music and he's getting her to dance it's just i loved it so much it was just my kind of brand of weird and exactly you sighing there being just like, <laughs> I just pictured you there just going like, what the hell are we watching? Yeah. Just like, <laughs> yeah, that's probably about what I was saying out loud in my apartment. I just, you know, I, 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 I got to be honest. I had a hard time staying awake in this movie, actually, when I watched it. There were times when I started to really like struggle to like stay focused and not just close my eyes and go to sleep maybe this is what you're gonna say with the locations but i could see if one was tired once they get to the barn it all just kind of melds into like a weird you just start to fall asleep yeah no that was true it was hard yeah i don't know how what how or what else to say about it but i i struggled well i hope that scene woke you right up oh i mean i was awake for it that's for sure (laughs) I was fucking rolling my eyes at it. That's why I wish I was there with you. <laughs> it's so funny, though. It's so weird. It is weird. I'll give it that. That's why I love it. <laughs> Did you? I have a question, and this is very things to note because I don't have an opinion about it. But the decision in the design of Dren to have her wide set eyes. You know, I looked up the actor who who played her just because i was like what does that person look like in real life delphine cheney right and you know she looks like a normal person it's not it's her eyes are not wide set in real life um but i kept thinking like man what a that's a pretty ballsy design choice to make because you're gonna have to every frame move her eyes digitally I mean, I think it's a, was a really smart decision to do. Just it's a it's a very clear, immediate way to make something same but different. You right. Know? Okay. So, my question is: How often do you think they actually moved the eyes digitally, and how and and how many times do you think they got away with the angle? Of how it's shot, not having to move it. Because I think there are quite a number of shots where just because of the angle of the camera and her face, where it's it's not it's not changed. That is an interesting uh that would be interesting to look for. I don't know if I care to to try to answer that. I just noticed, it's like I didn't notice, and right. I wasn't thinking. I didn't to notice look for during it. the movie. I noticed afterward when I was looking at pictures from the movie of her, and I was like, "Oh, look! Like I think that they didn't have to digitally widen her eyes in this shot because of the angle." Yeah, it's it's interesting just imagining. And I was like, what if, what an, yeah, just like, what an odd and interesting, like, not dilemma, but just thing to have to deal with. Right. They had a task at some point that was marking which shots to widen her eyes. (laughs) Right. And then also, does that mean that in 
the shooting of the film, were there times when they were like, let's literally put the camera here so that we don't have to spend time in post widening her eyes? Do you think they got, they were on that level of like care or they just were like, whatever, we have a budget. I'd say the fact that I didn't notice anything wrong means they were aware of it. I I don't know. I think they would have to be. Speaking of budget, 30 million, you know, so not huge, but not tiny. There's apparently a bidding war at Sundance for it. Oh, nice. Which they thought it was on Wikipedia. Someone said like, uh, the the people bidding on it somehow I don't I don't know if one of them said this but the thought was it could be the next paranormal activity whatever that means which isn't a good what reference as far as that was like so no budget but as far as just a runaway horror hit I guess is all they meant which yeah so so it was like you know not only were they bidding on this but the rights to make the sequel rights and all that stuff man they were. Way well, off. It was interesting. The trailer that we watched, you could almost see where it was interesting. I thought in the trailer, there's a cut where uh, the there was some kind of line that was like, "Oh, and now it's out in the world." And then they cut to a cityscape. There was this almost yeah. like suggestion as if it was this monster loose in the city kind of story that was going to be happening. So I could see sequels having that as potential, but they're definitely. But it's interesting because clearly they watched the movie and then were bidding on it. So it could have just been... Splice 2, Lost in New York. <laughs> right. But I don't know. I will, I will give it. I think it, it, it is just left of center enough. And that's where I said that's mainly why, you know, or one of the biggest reasons why it's a rent for me to be like, okay, this is, could be the mark of it's, it's a monster movie. We got the deaths. It's crazy. It's, but it's... It's just that that it's just different enough where it, you could maybe assign that to there being some sort of breakaway potential hit to it. Man. It's hard for me to imagine being convinced by that argument after <laughs> seeing this movie. Like if I was in a room at the time and listening to people be like, this is the next big thing you wonder if it's like one person thinks okay well i know how to market this trailer and then someone and then everyone's like oh he's been oh i'm gonna it's a sort of like a group everyone starts bidding. isn't that kind of how auctioning yeah it it could be it's just so funny to me when people get excited in that way though (laughs) if the movie (laughs) no amount of marketing is gonna make an an average movie catch fire yeah it might give you a boost at the initial box office and you'll have a nice first weekend but it's if the movie is is average it's gonna fall off so it's always kind of surprising me when when people have convinced themselves that it's it something has legs if it's if it really is average and i think i'm sorry this is rude to say i guess to the filmmakers but i do think this movie is average like it does not come wah, close wah. <laughs> to like like you know hold up against great great horror films. Oh, I I agree with that, but it's again in its its tone, its feel, all that is definitely as I just said, left of center. It's not this like average Hollywood blockbuster, sure, like whatever you know. But let's movie. put it up against um, 
uh, let's see. What was coming out right about that same time? Was um, Slither about the same era? Oops. We reviewed that, yeah. Right. I think Slither, if you're gonna say, let's go with a left of center, <laughs> right of center, whichever. Well, that was just horror film. I feel like that was left of center for being good. Where this was more it was 06, just, so it was before this. This was just more, I think there's the filmmaker has a sort of unique sensibility that's coming through. I mean, you could say that about James Gunn and Slither too. But. Right. Mm, yeah. I don't know. Good for them for feeling optimistic. Well, I don't think it made its 30 million. Uh, actually, it says here, what did it make? I just was looking at it. Oh, fell a little short. $27 million it made. <laughs> there you go. So it lost money. That's too bad. Great. Well, maybe by now it's made it back. You know? Yeah. Well, I didn't really have any other things of note. Um, no, me neither. I mean, you mentioned the Del Toro-ness connection. <laughs> yep. That's fun. It makes sense, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I like that it, you know, it's cool that it was a co-production. It was part partially, um, it was France and Canada. Yeah. That's fun. Um, but yeah, beyond that, I don't know. I don't have anything. Great. Then with that, we can put a bow with a splice in it on splice. <clears throat> and move on to if we have some recommendations to wind down with. Oh, damn it. What did I just watch that I was like, oh, that was good. I'll recommend it. I'll give you a sec to remember and give my recommendation, which is I'd consider a modern, semi-modern, new modern classic, Tim. Something I rewatched recently, and it's something if people haven't seen, I'll always recommend it. But man, I watched again, and I keep coming back to it. House of a Thousand Corpses <laughs> by Rob Zombie. I think it's an amazing film. I think it it's he sort of does to like offbeat 70s like Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 I want to say specifically not the original his love for those kind of movies rob zombies it it's like the thing with that Quentin Tarantino does for you know the genre films that he loves where he sort of almost makes you know the ultimate this by by putting i don't know by being a modern filmmaker um just pulling from what he loves and I just think it's it's one of my favorite like slasher films. It follows the formula to its to its T. It's uh, it's it gets so weird and like wacky and fever dreamy by the last chunk. I mm. really love it for that. All the casting is just spot on and funny. Um, I've only seen Devil's Rejects once, but remembered not being crazy about I it. I felt the same way. But this one, I just. I really think it's incredible. So if, uh, you, you know, you need a push to revisit it or see it, here it is, House of a Thousand Corpses. What do you think of it, Tim? Pretty pretty much the same. I Yeah, I just sort of like how Rob Zombie just has a, what I would consider an incredibly clear visual style and v- just vision of what he wants to do and he goes there too it right. feels dangerous and scary that, that crane shot i remember being in the theater watching house of a thousand corpses and the crane shot of what is it the 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 cop holding the gun to 
opposite the bad guy. Uh, the bad guy's holding yeah. a gun to the cop, right? Yeah. And and how long and deliberate that shot is, I was like, I don't I just will never forget it just being like it's gruesome. Holy yeah. shit. Like I think that's what I mean when I say like his style and vision is just so specific to him that like I'm not sure anybody else would ever even think to have that shot be what it is. He's, I'm like, that's a Rob Zombie like signature yeah. to me. Uh, so that's cool. Yeah. I haven't seen Three from Hell, but it's yet to be topped for me in his au revoir. Yeah. Um, I can't, I, you know what I was gonna recommend Dead? If, what I was thinking of is when the Army of the Dead got released, uh, the news act. I watched Sider. it. I watched it and I don't, I I just I I would not recommend I, it. It's not recommendable to me. So <laughs> that's I mean, what I was. I mean, do. by all means, watch it. Yeah, watch it. It's <laughs> it's got some stuff in it. You you get what you might want. I guess. <laughs> I guess maybe, maybe. Um, I'm looking at my letterbox of horror films here, and. I'm going to just pick one. I'm going to pick one. Oh, there's the Devil's Rejects right there. Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> yes. You got, y'all got to watch Bubba Hotep. I remember. I was so excited for that movie. <laughs> it's, it's not good. Like, don't get me wrong. I mean, you, this is the second Don Coscarelli movie you've recommended. You recommended Beastmaster. That's true. For, for what it is, though, it's, <laughs> It's just so ridiculous. And, uh, you know, how can you not love Bruce Campbell kind of quintessentially doing what he does? Yeah. I need to see it again. I think I watched it when it first came out, kind of being young and expecting and hoping for like an Evil Dead type movie. Yeah, you can't. It's not that. It's definitely not that. But it is so weird style just absurdity they always had a sequel planned where i think it was going to be that character versus dracula or something like oh that God, i feel like i remember hearing about that yeah do you like don coscarelli's uh phantasm series well i've only seen is that is phantasm all him i think he continues on past the first one i've only seen the first one. Oh wait no i think i've seen the well, first what do you think two. of the first one Oh, I watched it fairly recently. It it grows on you. Uh, I really like it now, and watching it with the Joe Bob uh, that I could get behind. It's was a lot so, of fun. It's so cheesy. I think it's. I think the second one is that's like the road movie one. The second one is better for sure. I in don't know my the, mind. the first one. It's just it's got a weirdness to it. I love. It's, I mean, it's seventy nine or something like that. It's too, super so it's independent. Like, yeah. You know what I like about the first Phantasm is that the gate, the the archway, the like gates to go into the mansion or to the mortuary or whatever are in Pasadena. They're the gates that lead to like a bunch of the really cool trails. And oh. I've gone there a million times and didn't know that that's the gates that I was you're essentially walking through and then turned that movie on. I was like, wait a minute. That's that's that like the trailhead, the Cheney trail ch- trailhead. Uh, Great. More hypotheticals for our horror locations tours. That's right. We want to do. Um, yeah. I can't say that I think, I don't know. That's an interesting thing. Do I think 
I like him as a director or do I just happen to just like pointing out this is the second one? I know by him. it's an interesting thing. Like I wouldn't have made the connection necessarily that it's the same filmmaker. I feel like though there's something to him that has an appeal that kind of grows on you. You know, you appreciate it's, it. More. You know what it is? And and Phantasm has it too. It is a it is a particular level of camp that is like it's it's camp contained. It still takes the stuff seriously. Like right. he loves it. He's excited about it. The right. ideas themselves. So I think maybe that maybe that is what I'm a- attracted to, I guess, within them is is the the campness is still <laughs> it's not flippant. Yeah. So cool. It's fun. Cool. It's all very character character driven too, which I like. So Baba Hotep. Yeah, get into it. Two two classics we recommended dead <laughs> this week. Yeah. Um right, cool well, dude. We got our hat here. We yeah. Thankfully. Decide on our next film for us. Oh no, don't spill. Okay. Here we go. Just going to go quick and loose here. Boom. Got it. This one. It is a Japanese film called Ichi the Killer. Yes. <laughs> You know, I see the the poster for this all the time. I think when I'm searching for something to watch, Tim, this is one I've. It's been a, a real big sore, or not sore spot, missing spot for me. I've been wanting to see it forever so bad, and I'm so excited. I've been putting it off because oh. I know we have it in the hat. It's a Takashi Miike film, one I haven't seen. And cool. I'm very very excited to finally see it. Good pull, Tim. Well, there you go. I did it just for you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> all right. Well, until then, in the meantime, you can find us wherever you found us. We got an Instagram, all that. Our big ask uh, is that you tell a friend if you enjoyed being here. If not, all's the same. We appreciate you being here. As I just said, all the same, right, Tim? It's all the same, bro. (laughs) It's all the same to you. It's all the same to me. Great. Well, in closing, whether you think making Dren was worth it or not, Thanks for listening. Yeah. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>